Welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold two spots, one in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and one in Hebrews chapter 5. And if you don't have your Bible with you, don't sweat it. Uh, we're going to put the verses and the fill-ins on the screen. Uh, we're in part five of a series that we're calling Force of Habit. And as the, the title suggests, your habits on a daily basis are a force in your life. Your daily habits shape your heart. Your daily habits show your heart. And we know that your habits are a force in your life because we know this, good habits are hard to establish, really hard to establish, but really easy to break and we're bummed when we break them. But you know, bad ones, bad habits, those have the opposite power. Uh, those are hard to break, uh, but super easy to establish. So what we're saying in this series, Force of Habit, and what we're really seeing clearly in God's word is the right habits build the right life. The right habits are life-giving. The right habits establish your integrity through consistency. The right habits get us ready for eternity. The right habits get us close to God and people. And we're going to look at today how the right habits create the, the right movement uh, in God. And that's where we're going to start today's study. So as we've done in uh, the past sessions of this series, we're going to get God's mind on your habits, just generally speaking. And then we're going to see what God wants. What specific habit today does God want us to develop as a man of God? And so uh, if you have the downloaded notes, please take those out. We're going to start at the top and read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as we start to get God's mind on our habits. Let's read that together. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 23 and 24 says this, All of you, both slave and free both, were once held hostage by a sinful society. Then a huge sum was paid out for your ransom. So please don't, out of old habit, slip back into being or doing what everyone asks or tells you to do. Friends, stay where you are called to be. God is there. Hold the high ground with him at your side. What I love about this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is that there's a picture, there's an audience, and there's a command. The audience of this exhortation are believers. You can see that uh, they were people who were once held hostage in the world, but then a ransom price was paid for them, and they were set free from their captivity. Uh, the Apostle Paul also calls them friends. So we know that the audience for this exhortation, right, to, to be God's man is, uh, is believers. Secondly, we see a picture. As I mentioned just a second ago, it's a picture of someone who was being held hostage, and then hostage takers demand a ransom, and then a huge ransom is paid, and then the hostage is set free, but then here is the picture that is painted. That hostage, which is set free, then chooses, because of old habits, to be a hostage again. And the Apostle Paul is like, no, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And then there's commands. Friends, stay where you were called to be. God's there. Hold the high ground with him at your side. And so we see in this, this passage, movement. We see movement out of captivity and bondage to freedom, but then there's a spiritual battle, right? 
And that spiritual battle is won in the realm of habits and old habits re-embraced after being set free can lead a man back into bondage. Can anybody bear witness to that one, all right? All of us can. We know that it's so easy to slip back into old thinking. Old thinking leads to old habits. Old habits lead to old bondage because we are not living out our identity. The second passage that I told you to hold a spot in is in Hebrews chapter 5. It also gives us a little bit of God's mind. It says this, I have a lot more to say about this, but it is hard to get it across to you since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves, yet here I find you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again. Starting from square one, baby's milk, when you should have been on solid food long ago. Milk is for beginners, experienced in God's way. Solid food is for the mature, listen, who have some practice in telling right from wrong. And so what you see is another picture of movement. The first picture in 1 Corinthians 7 was from bondage to freedom and then through habits going back to bondage. But then you see the movement of someone coming into God and being born again and then growing right in that faith. But then a bad habit slips in and it's the habit of not listening. And instead of progressing and moving on to maturity in God, through practices, because practices are synonymous with habits, they stay immature, right? So the bad habits we develop in our lives, they act like thieves and they rob us. What do they rob us of? Well, they rob us of our freedom. And in Hebrews chapter five, it robs us of maturity. And let me just speak into that when it comes to men globally and the 700 million men around the globe who name the name of Jesus. The world doesn't need any more immature boys running around in men's bodies, all right? What we do need is we need mature men who are made mature by the habits in God that they keep. Kind of talks about that theme in our next verse as we're getting God's mind. Proverbs 18, verses 9 and 10. It says this, slack habits and sloppy work are as bad as vandalism. God's name is a place of protection. Good people, they can run there and be safe. And so what we see is a compare and contrast of two types of guys, right, who have two habits, all right? One guy really doesn't put a lot of energy into his habits. Uh, he, could, he could have them or he could not have them. And, uh, and that creates a couple results. It creates uh, sloppy work, um, his life, his influence, his ability to be effective, just, just sloppy, and his impact is destroyed. And then that's compared with a person, a good person, who has a very specific habit. That man runs to God, right? And is protected and is safe and kind of holds his ground. He cares, right, about his habits. And one that he will not give up is that he turns to God. So let's summarize those three passages with some, some, some key learnings, all right? Uh, right there on your outline. Number one, old habits reflect an old identity. If you slip back into old habits, it means that you're living out your old identity, not your identity 
uh, in Christ. In the, in the Corinthians passage, it says uh, that there are men who have been held hostage by a sinful society. They're in the world. Then they get freed through the ransom that was paid by the person and work of Jesus on the cross. And then what happens is that they, they slip back into their, their old habits. They forget who they are, and when they forget who they are and the price that was paid to help them come into a relationship with God, then they slip back into old habits. So old habits reflect an old identity. Secondly, old habits reflect old maturity. Right? Before Christ, we're not in God, we're not spiritually mature, we're natural men, we're carnal men, and then we come into Christ, and then we start to mature, but because we develop this specific habit of not just not listening to God, which is super important, God speaks, he expects to be listened, the believer hears God speak and then develops the habit of just kind of, you know, considering what God says or discussing or debating what God says, and, and he stagnates because he doesn't listen. So old habits not only reflect an old identity, but they reflect an old boyish uh, maturity you stagnate. And then third, old habits reflect old loyalty, right? That's the passage from Proverbs. There's a loyalty to God. Good people run to God. They're loyal to God. They want to know what his will is. They run to that. They run to his person. They run to his will. They run to his purposes. Now, I've contextualized habits in terms of what is old, but the opposite of what we just wrote down is true. New habits reflect a new identity, new habits bring new maturity, and new habits reflect a new loyalty that you have to Jesus because you realize what Jesus has done for you. So that's God's mind on your habits. You can see how he knows they are a force in your life. Now, let's get to the second part of the study and dig in on the next habit that God wants us to develop. If we go back a few sessions, we talked about the habit of putting God first. Then we talked about uh, the habit of hearing God and listening to God. And then we talked about the habit of God dependency. The next habit that God wants us to develop is the habit of meeting with him. God wants us to develop the habit of regular daily meetings with him. And let's talk about what that involves, all right? Number one, it involves receiving words, listen, to live by, all right, versus what? Words to discuss, words to debate, words to consider as just good ideas. You see, meeting with God, God speaks, and he gives us words, his words, his revelation, and when he speaks, he expects us to do two things, prioritize what he says and put him into practice. In fact, when God began to speak to his people, he would always qualify that interaction with a warning. All right. We see one of those warnings in Deuteronomy chapter 32 it says this, they are not just idle words for you. They are your life by them. You will live long in the land you are crossing uh, the Jordan to possess. So you see that, that God's people, God's moving them forward uh, in their journey with him and in life. And then as they're on their journey with him and in life, he's speaking and interacting with them. 
And when he speaks, that then opens up and and infuses and influences their journey. So um, there's a warning. He just says, hey, my words are your life. And the words that that I speak to you, they're going to help you live in this journey uh, that you are taking. And he speaks specific words for specific moments. Don't miss that. If you're in relationship with God, God has words for you to live by in the specific moment that you're living. All right? Jesus himself in the Gospels would always reiterate the importance of his words. We see that in John chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus says this, The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. So you see Jesus comparing and contrasting what he says with the other voices that are present in a man's life. And one other microphone that is screaming into your mind is your flesh, your feelings, your impulses. And and the devil pours gas on those those impulses and those words that your flesh is telling you to act on, all right, uh, through lies and exploiting fear, getting into your head, getting you to run ahead on impulse, on fear. And, And Jesus says, hey, the flesh, listening to that voice, zero results for you if you're in relationship with me. However, the words I speak to you They are full of spirit and life. So there's what the voice of the flesh has to offer you, zero. And then there's the words that Jesus speaks, and they offer you spirit, the power of God, and life. Again, meeting with God, there's interaction, there's communication. God speaks words, and those are words to live by. You know, there were many moments when men... Uh, listen to Jesus's words. He was dialing up their level of commitment. And as the commitment got dialed up, the numbers got smaller. And I want to show you uh, a snapshot of that from John chapter 6. Jesus, after watching men leave, after he has spoken and dialed up the commitment factor, he's spoken words that have demanded some higher commitment. He says this, you don't want to leave too, do you? And he's talking to Peter and the disciples. Jesus asked the 12, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I don't want you to to miss the dynamic here, where you have God speaking truth. That truth needs to be uh, accepted or rejected and it dials up commitment. Uh, in your relationship with God, Jesus will say, hey, just come and see, check, check me out, begin a relationship. And then as you walk with Jesus, he progressively dials up the commitment, and then he says, hey, come and commit, and he'll speak more words to you that, that demand a higher commitment. And as the commitment gets dialed up, it puts a little tension in there, and you have to uh, decide if you're gonna stay with Jesus and go for the whole journey or bail out in your relationship in the journey. And what I love about this picture is that Peter has, through the the habit of 
hearing Jesus's words, acting on Jesus's words, he's come to a place and to a belief, and he expresses that to Jesus emphatically. He's like, Lord, where else are we gonna go? Only you have words of life, and we've come to believe. That means over time and over living by the words that have been spoken, and so when they hear Jesus speak and they act on his words, they actually see that he's the son of God. And in your relationship with God, if you wanna see that Jesus is the son of God, hear what he says and do what he says. So the habit of meeting with God involves words and their words to live by. Secondly, meeting with God involves processing life and growing closer. You see, you and I are living life on what kind of basis? We're living life on a daily basis. So if we're living life on a daily basis, and we are in relationship with God, how frequent does God want us to relate to him on a daily basis? And that's, that's throughout the scripture, but I have picked a little passage and experience from uh, Exodus with God and Moses to highlight this. And, and in Exodus 29, God tells Moses exactly how frequent he wants to interact with him. He says this, this is to be your regular daily whole burnt offering before God. Generation after generation, sacrifice at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's where I'll meet you. That's where I'll speak with you. That's where I'll meet the Israelites at the place made holy by my glory. Now, I'm gonna ask you to indulge me on the live stream. And I want you to say, wherever you are, you can whisper it if you're in a coffee shop or just say it out loud. Say, daily encounter, daily encounter, Daily dialogue, daily dialogue, daily place, daily place, and daily life issues, daily life issues. You see, life with God is a daily thing, and it involves daily encounters, daily dialogue, in a daily place. What, what's going on there? We're talking about daily life issues, right? And where do we do that? We do it at our tent of meeting. Now, I want you to know that at that time, uh, Israel was mobile, and the tent of meeting would get packed up, moved to the next spot, set up. Packed up, moved to the next spot, set up. But there was consistency, and there was frequency, and there was a place. All right. Now, in today's society, uh, we're not going to go build a tent in our backyard, although you can do that. Um, but God wants to have a tent of meeting with you right now. And that tent of meeting can be in your car before work, it can be at a coffee shop, it can be in a favorite chair, in your living room, it can be at the beach. God doesn't care where you meet with him, he just wants a regular meeting, a regular place, regular dialogue, and for you to process your regular life issues with him in that space. Now, what happened? What did Moses do in response to God's request for meetings on a regular basis. Says this in Exodus 34. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar 
of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one would speak with a friend. Wow. So God says, I would like to meet with you on a regular basis. Let's call it the tent of meeting. So Moses responds to the request, and then God responded, right? And then Moses led the people of God out of those meetings. You know, that's our life. There are people connected to us that need us to have our tent of meeting, where we speak to God face to face, where we receive words to live by, and we grow closer to God. You see, meeting with God involves processing life and growing closer to God. Read Exodus 33, read Exodus, Exodus 34, and you'll see a man just like you and me who has people looking to him for leadership. Talking to God face to face, friend to friend, about the daily pressures of leading his family, of providing for his family. And isn't that the relationship we need right now? So the, the habit of meeting with God involves receiving words to live by, processing life, and growing closer. And then third, it involves being examined. And I know just saying those words, being examined, it kind of sends chills up my spine because it makes me think of the doctor's office. And when you go to the doctor's office to get examined, you don't know what the doctor is going to say ahead of time. But in faith, you present yourself to the doctor and you go, well, he's been to medical school. He's supposed to know what he's doing. And he's going to examine me and tell me things I don't know about myself. Do you realize that that's a good thing? Because then you'll know what's wrong. And if something's wrong, and we can deal with what's wrong. And then the result is health. That is exactly what meeting with God is all about. Being examined, having God show you some things, right? So that you can move toward spiritual health with him and with people or whatever the issue is. Um, David, man to man with his son, uh, tells Solomon uh, this very thing. Uh, he says, hey, son, you're going to get examined by God, and so you should, you should show up for the appointment. Let's, listen to what David says to Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28. He says this, And you, Solomon, my son, get to know well your father's God. Serve him with a whole heart and an eager mind, for God examines every heart and sees through every motive. If you seek him, he'll make sure you find him, but if you abandon him, he'll leave you for good. All right. So man to man, father to son, man of God to man of God, what's going on here? Well, there's an encouragement and there's a reason for one man offering the encouragement to the other. David says, hey, son, get to know God. All right. Serve God with your life. Why? Because son, you're being examined by God right now. It's not an event. God doesn't need to have you select a time where you meet with him. He's already, he already sees your thoughts like they're on a, a 4K screen, all right? 
He sees your motives. He sees the real you. And there's two ways that you can go with that reality. You can go to the God who sees you for who you really are, and you can work with him on becoming the man he created you to be, or you can not seek him, right? You can be on the DIY plan, the do-it-yourself-in-life plan, and there's consequences to that. And the consequence is God's presence or the lack of God's presence. Talks about how God examines us in Romans 8.27. It says this, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, right? He is God. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So the Bible reveals a God who sees past to the real you, the hidden you, the one that, that nobody sees. He sees thoughts. He sees motives. That's the real you. The inner man. And he desires to examine and help, listen to me, that man. Why? Because that's the real you. It's not your image. It's not the image you project. It's not what people see. I say this all the time. Men are like icebergs. You only see the tip. The real man is below the waterline in his thoughts and in his motives, right? So God sees the hidden you. God sees the inner man. God sees your thoughts. God sees your motives. God sees the people, uh, sees the man that, that, that people don't see, right? And when you know that, all right, when you internalize what we just read, that God sees the real you, he sees your thoughts, he sees your mind, he sees your motives, God wants to help that man. It says right here in that passage in Romans 8, the spirit intercedes for God's people, based on what God sees, in accordance with the will of God. So God's praying. The spirit is intervening for you, and he's asking God, based on who he sees the real you, is for God's will to come and address the real you, all right? So either we're working with God in that examination or God, without our cooperation, is, is, is still praying and he is going to move in accordance with his will based on what he really sees, not on the image that we project. Talks about uh, the response of the man after God's heart to that reality, right? that God is examining him now, and God's acting based on what he sees the real man is. So David makes the right choice. In Psalm 139, we see the man of God, the man after God's own heart, make the right choice. Listen to the choice that he makes. Pick it up with uh, as you listen to me read the verse. He says this, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. Now, that is the absolute best decision any man can make based on the reality that God sees the real you, God sees the inner man, God sees your thoughts, God sees your motives, He's not even paying attention to your image. And that God is going to intervene based on what he really sees going on so that his will gets done. And David says, okay, I'm in. He basically surrenders himself to the examiner. And, you know, that's like the value of an x-ray, right? 
it reveals hidden problems. The problems are shown, doctor and patient are there. There is an assessment. The doctor shows me what's wrong. And then the doctor starts guiding me and helping me on a path toward health. Now, the only thing that would prevent me from that process happening is my fear of doctors, where I question their motives or I question their profession or I question, and you know, we do the same thing with God. God's examining you not to judge you. God's examining you uh, not to put you on a timeout. It's not punitive. It's because he has a mission to heal. And a lot of times we miss out on the healing of God because we don't submit to the examination of God. And we have a wrong perception of what it's like for God to just go, okay, so you already know this, but that's, that's a problem. And that's a problem too. And let, let, me, let, me, let me get a prescription for you, okay? Right here, let me get a little prescription for you. And, um, you know, absorb and digest that consistently over the next little bit. And that problem right there, it's gonna address that problem, right? It's the same with God. You want him to show you what's wrong with you. As David asked, David, David says, hey, um, show me, investigate me. Um, cross-examine me, um, get a clear picture of what I'm about. God already has the picture. And all you need to do is kind of come with him and you need to be in the x-ray room. And you need him to go, okay, show me me. And then show me the way out. And God uh, will do that. You know, I was an oncology chaplain on the seventh floor of Western Medical Center. And man, those x-ray moments, those PET scans, that saved people's lives, right? And, uh, but you gotta present yourself daily for examination. You have to, to do life with him. You have to receive the words that the great healer uh, gives to you. You gotta process life and trust him. And you gotta, you gotta be examined. I know it's comfortable, uncomfortable to put on, you know, that, that, that robe in the doctor's office where you're feeling a little vulnerable. That's how you feel when you put yourself before x-ray eyes. But man, the result of in faith suffering the vulnerability and going, all right, really take a look at me uh, and then show me what's wrong is, is that you get life, right? So meeting with God involves receiving words to live by. Meeting with God involves processing life and growing closer. Being, meeting with God involves being examined next. Being, be, meeting with God uh, involves releasing negative emotions and pressures. Anyone full of those right now in this cultural moment? There is so much pressure politically, globally, uh, infectious diseases, racial and ethnic division, uh, in the business world, in the investment world. Oh my goodness. And you know what, guys? There's our public image and then there's all the pressures that we just walk around with that we don't process with, with, with many people, right? And unprocessed pressure creates negative emotions. I'm gonna say that again because it's so important for you to recognize that. Unprocessed pressure creates negative emotions. Negative emotions like anxiety, anger, 
sadness because of losses, whatever the negative emotion is, right? That builds up. It's like rocket fuel inside of a man's life. And then there's the gaslighter, the devil himself, who gaslights all that rocket fuel of negative emotions with you. And you know what the match is? The match is a lie. You have all these negative emotions inside of you. He takes the match of a lie and just says, you know what? Based on how you feel, you should do this. Based on that anxiety, you should do this so that the anxiety is numbed. That anger you feel, you know what? You deserve to act that out. Based on that sadness and loss, this is, this is a step that makes sense, isn't it? And just light your life on fire. That's why when you meet with God, that's the place to release those negative emotions and pressures or else you're going to get lit up, bro. That's the spiritual battle. And God's saying, come to me. You know, in the scripture, uh, we see very clearly that God does not hide the pressures and problems of his people. They're all there in black and white. Why? Because God can handle it. A lot of times you're just like, well, my wife can't handle uh, these issues or, or my friends can't really handle these issues. Right? Guys, that will never happen with God. His shoulders are big and they're infinite, which means that his shoulders can carry whatever negative pressure and emotions are going on in your life. But you gotta let them out with God. Listen to David in Psalm 42, let out some negative stuff. He says this, sometimes I ask God, my rock solid God, why did you let me down? Why am I walking around in tears, harassed by enemies? They're out for the kill. These tormentors with their obscenities taunting day after day. Where is this God of yours? Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God and soon I'll be praising again. He puts a, a smile on my face. He's got. So do you see the spiritual battle that David's in? He's got circumstances that are creating negative emotions and pressures just like us right now, right? And he's wondering, hey, what's, how come, why aren't, why isn't the relief here? And why do wicked people get to succeed while I'm the good guy, right? And then that gets him sad. And then there's this shift in him. He asks a question, why are you down in the dumps, my soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix your eyes on God. And all of a sudden, he gets his eyes off of his circumstances. He gets his eyes onto God, and then there's a shift. I'm talking to a lot of you right now, and what's dominating your thoughts are your circumstances. And God is saying, shift your eyes. You need to shift your eyes. You need to shift your eyes so you can shift your perspective. And when you shift your, your perspective, that's when your reality is gonna change. But it won't happen if your gaze is fixed on your circumstances and your problems and your issues versus God. You gotta release those and you start releasing them by fixing your eyes on God and meeting with God. You know, Jesus offered an open invitation in the gospels. He said this in Matthew 11. Then Jesus said, come to me, 
All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Now, I want you to take note that Jesus isn't saying, hey, guess what? This life that you live, it's going to be, I'm going to take away all the pressures and burdens. He's not saying that. He's saying, hey, I'm going to enter in to your burdens. I'm going to yoke up with you. It's a picture of pulling big mammals forward who have yokes on them. So he's saying, yoke up, right? And then we're going to pull together in the midst. And because I'm sharing in your life, you have a regular habit of yoking up with me, meeting with me, receiving my words, processing life, being examined, releasing those negative moments. Guess what the net result of that is? Hey, man, the burden gets shared, and whenever the burden gets shared, the burden gets lighter. Please remember that. God wants to share the burdens of this life. He wants you to yoke up. In fact, some of us need to write that down. Yoke up. Because you've unyoked yourself. And then you've taken on pressures and burdens that your shoulders aren't big enough to bear. And you just need to say, okay, Jesus, I'm here. I hear you. I'm yoking up every day, right? Now, when you yoke up with Jesus, what happens is, is he changes your perspective on things. God can change your circumstances, not a problem. But you know what? Often what he chooses to do to grow your character is he just changes your perspective. He helps you see things from his perspective, right? And when your perspective changes, your reality changes. And when your reality changes, you get some rest. And again, it's a spiritual battle, right? Satan does not want you to yoke up. He doesn't want you to meet with God. He doesn't want you to get a new perspective. And he definitely doesn't want you to experience peace and rest because he operates in anger and anxiety and prolonged sadness. He wants to light you up. And he can if you're not meeting with God. Now, the motivation for releasing negative emotions and pressures uh, it, it, it's, it, it's right there in the Bible in 1 Peter 5, 7. It says this, Give all your worries and cares to God. Why? For he cares about you. You don't share your intimate stuff with someone who doesn't give a rip about you. But you know who you do go to? Someone who knows you, someone who loves you, someone who cares about you. And you know who that person is right now at this second? It's God, but you're missing out. So I know that I'm speaking to thousands of guys who are carrying around lots of negative emotions, and you're getting lit up. There needs to be a shift in your spirit, a shift in your daily routine, a shift in habit, and you need to go to the tent of meeting, and you need to release whatever it is that in your heart. Be totally honest. God can handle it, and let him begin to shift your perspective. All right, meeting with God. What does it involve? Receiving words to live by. Processing life and growing closer in a relationship, being examined, releasing negative emotions and pressure. And then lastly, meeting with God involves surrendering control. And this is the hardest one, fellas. I, I get it, right? I like control. I like predictability because when I'm in control, uh, I feel like uh, I, I can order events that meet my goals. And 
that's fine for some projects, but not in a relationship with God. When you meet with God, it involves going, all right, you're God, I'm not. I don't have control, you do have control. Talks about this in the scripture, favorite passage of scripture. I'm sure many of you have read it many times. Romans chapter 12, verse one. And it's a man coaching believers in how to meet with God. Listen to what Coach Paul says. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, your walk around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. You see how that works when you meet with God? It's like, all right, I'm gonna take the small stuff. Usually we go to God with just the big stuff, like rescue me or help me get this deal so then I can pay my bills or you go to God with the big stuff, but you keep them out of the everyday little relational stuff, emotional stuff, the little meetings, the little encounters. All right, and Paul's saying, all your chips need to go to the table of your everyday life. Place the whole enchilada before God as an offering and just say, hey, go to work, God. Go to work. I am here to embrace whatever it is that you want me to do. There, 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 there. Big, small, big, small. Whatever it is that you, you want me to do. You see, when the priest would bring whatever was being sacrificed to the altar, the offering did not have control over what was about to happen, right? And in the same way, a lot of times we put ourselves before God, then we squirm off the altar, right? We take away the offering, all right? We take away the surrender, right? God is saying to hundreds and hundreds of men right now as they're listening to the sound of my voice, I want control back. You've taken control in that area. You've taken control in that area. You've taken control of your marriage. You've taken control of your business. I want it all because I'm in control of it all, right? And the Bible is very clear about that. What makes a man of God a man of God is his willingness to surrender control. In fact, it talks about this in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, when talking about David. Right now, David, not perfect, not by a long shot, right? But what made him a man of God? God says this in Acts 13, 22. I've searched the land and found this David, son of Jesse. He's a man whose heart beats to my heart, a man who will do what I tell him. David, whether he made a good decision or a bad decision, whatever it is that God said next that he was supposed to do, he would do. He will do what I tell him. And that's a picture of the Bible, of there's a potter, and he has an intention for the clay, which is unmolded, and the clay submits to the intention of the potter. Can you say this with me? The man after God's heart, the man after God's heart, surrenders to God's heart. Surrenders to God's heart, right? It's just we're surrendered. We're the clay. We're humble and we're flexible and we're teachable. That's what it's like to surrender control in God's presence. So when you meet with God, are you humble, are you flexible, and are you teachable? Now, 
there are moments when the potter will want to mold the clay in a direction the clay does not want to go. You ever been there? Jesus was there. In fact, he got there, and this is the only time in Scripture where he didn't want to do what God was asking him to do. But here we see the model for when our feelings are saying one thing and God is saying another thing. Matthew 26, verse 39. He fell on his face praying, My Father, if there is any way, get me out of this. But please, not what I want. You. What do you want? Greatest decision ever made by any man ever born in any moment. Want to know why? Because that decision to surrender control under pressure to God and under pressure surrendering control, doing what God wants, that's the reason we're all going to heaven. That's the reason we were set free. That decision right there, it cost him. And you know what the world needs? The world needs millions upon hundreds of millions of men who name the name of Jesus, who know how to do that, who know how to say no to themselves so they can say yes to God and to people. And I know I'm speaking to many of you specifically right now. You're saying no to God in this, and this, and this, and this, and you know that you're saying no to God. And you're not releasing that area of your life. But you know what God is asking you to do? Because Jesus is inside of you. Knowing how you feel and knowing that it's gonna be hard, you need to say yes to God. Because on the other side of that choice is transformation. On the other side of that, that choice is redemption. On the other side of that choice are consequences that you cannot foresee that will give glory to God. So will you do it? Let's pray. Father, thank you that um, <laughs> the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, wants to meet with us on a regular basis. And, and, and in this moment, not in other moments, Lord, in this time of civil unrest, you have words to say. In this time of ethnic tension, you have words to say. In this time of economic uncertainty and political uncertainty, you have words to say that are going to help us to rise above the culture that we live in and to shine the light of Christ, to transcend this moment in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's my prayer right now. I pray right now for every man that's listening that through meeting with you, they get in the elevator of God and they rise above the noise of this world. And they get into the kingdom of God as they're living amidst the noise and that they receive your wisdom that they receive your life, that they receive your power, that they let you examine them, God. That all these pressures would shift from being thrust upon them to being cast upon you, God. We give you this cultural moment. We give you our lives. We give you the pressures that are on us right now. Lord, we're pushing all those pressures to the center of the table. We're betting on you, God. And then, Lord, in an act of faith, it's all yours. We're surrendering control. 
We acknowledge that, that what you open, no one can shut, and what you shut, no one can open. We're acknowledging that you're the vine, we're the branch, you're the potter, we're the clay. God, we repent of trying to control things we were never meant to control, and we repent of the lack of time that we've been giving you. And so, Lord, we are going to renew our tent of meeting. We're going to reestablish the tent of meeting. And God, we're going to grow strong in you. We're going to receive your words. We're going to receive peace in life. And we're going to let you point things out so that we can get healthy. And God, we're going to give all of that fuel that Satan wants to use to light us up. We're going to give all of that to you and release it. And God, you're going to take over control. So Lord, thank you for this study. Thank you for the tents of meeting right now that are going to start popping up around the world, Lord. I can see, I see right now that men have, have decided this is the place, this is the time, this is where I'm going to meet God. Some of you are being called to go to God right now. Some of you are going to be at work. Some of you are going to be in the living room. You're going you're gonna to get that Bible and get that coffee. And, and tomorrow or today, I just see right now all these tents of meetings where a man is going to enter and meet with God face to face. And God's going to speak to you as one speaks to a friend. You're going to hear intimate words, breakthrough words, guiding words, healing words, lovingly confronting words. And then you're going to obey and you're going to get better and things in your life are going to get better because God is with you and God is working. God, thank you for all the mighty miracles and signs and wonders that you're going to perform in men's lives. We thank you for them. In Jesus' name and all God's men said, amen. Don't forget, next week, last part of the series, Force of Habit. We'll see you then and God bless.